Okay, we're diving into the book of Ephesians. And uh, just so you guys know, Ephesians was written while Paul was in prison. Paul wrote four letters while he was in prison. He wrote Philippians, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, and he wrote Philemon. Those are called the prison epistles. Now, every time we open up the Bible and we study it, I get excited because whether we realize it or not, our faith grows. And, And faith is essential for miracles happening in your life. Does anyone here have somebody in your, in your family that is not saved? Go ahead and raise your hand. They're not saved. If Jesus came right now, they would not go to heaven. See, some of you didn't raise your hand. That means everybody in your family is saved. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've got hands up because I've got people that are not saved. If Jesus came back right now, they would not go to heaven. And it is so important for me to pray for their heart, pray for their relationship with God, because that is going to require prayer. It's going to require somebody having faith. And faith is the ingredients required. Everybody say required. Faith is the ingredients required for a miracle. No faith. No miracle. End of discussion. Jesus walked into his hometown. He was ready to do a lot of miracles. They didn't have faith. He had to leave. So it's important. Now, how do we get faith? The only way you can get faith is hearing and hearing of the word of God. So as I'm reading, whether you realize it or not, your faith is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like a big magnet for miracles to happen in your life. I don't know about you, but there's certain seasons in my life that I have accepted. There's no motivational speech. There's no Tom, Dick, or Harry, or Lacey, or Jennifer that can help me on this planet. The only thing that can help me is a miracle. Have you ever been there before? That's the only thing that can help me is a miracle. I've sat down with many, many couples, married couples. Maybe you're one of them um, or you fit into this category where I thought to myself, even if I were Dr. Phil, I do not have the advice to help this couple. There is no advice that's going to help this couple. The hurt is too deep. The pain is too deep. I don't know if you've ever been there. The, The trust is gone. And I'm thinking to myself while I'm talking to them, the only thing that can help this couple is the presence of God. He's got to touch their heart. It's going to have to be a miracle. I don't know about you. There's certain times you just got to have a miracle, but you've got to have faith. And so for the next few weeks, we're just going to march through the book of uh, Ephesians. Uh, Last week, Sarah spoke on chapter one. I'm going to talk about chapter two. By the end of the night tonight, Whether you realize it or not, your faith level is up. It is higher. Everybody say, I'm ready. That's it. That's it. All right, here we go. Let's dive straight into it. Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead, chapter 2 verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 2 verse 1. 
Once you were dead, now let me back up, I'm so sorry. Let me back up and, and set the stage here. The book of Ephesians, it was one of the four letters that, that Paul wrote while he was in jail. And he's writing to Gentiles. Now, um, if you don't know if you're a Gentile or not, it's real easy. You just back your way into that question. Do you know if you're a Jew? Paul is writing to a church, the church of Ephesus, and he's talking to Gentiles. He's not talking to Jews. Now, these principles include Jews, but he's enlightening Gentiles. He's, he's showing us how good God is. Because when God made the covenant with Abraham way back in the Old Testament, way back here, when he made the covenant with Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago, he made the covenant with his bloodline, which was a Jewish bloodline. And so it did not include anyone that didn't come from his, his bloodline. But because Jesus died on the cross, we're going to read about it here in a minute. He died for the whole world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoso, whosoever, not just Jews, but whosoever shall believe in him will have everlasting life. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, this is for all of you. This is every single one of you. All right. So chapter 2, um, and, and uh, let, let's dive straight into it. Chapter 2, Ephesians. He's talking to the Gentiles. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many, many sins. Verse 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Underline that, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All right, let's unpack that. The people that refuse to obey God are being governed and ruled by Satan. Evil, governed and ruled by Satan. It's just the fact of the matter that all evil comes from Satan. So I hate to say this, but when you and I choose, I don't want to do the right thing. I don't want to do the right thing. And let me just say this. There's a, a new kind of righteousness out there right now in this day and age. And, it's, and I don't even like to preach about it. But we'll talk about, I think it's in Ephesians 5. Yes, I'll just go to Ephesians 5. Watch this. Ephesians 5, verse number 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you, such as sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure, watch this, 
that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of our God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. You know, uh, there's this movement out there right now um, that is trying to convince us that, hey, these sins, these certain sins, uh, God, he overlooks them. It, it, what Paul is saying here in, in, in number uh, chapter 2 is the people that disregard. I'm not talking about where you... you, you you're, uh, I, I want to use the word flagrant. It's a flagrant lifestyle. Not a mistake. Not an I'm sorry. Not a God please forgive me. I really don't want to do that again. It's a flagrant lifestyle. And, and what's, what he's saying here is the people that live that type of lifestyle, this flagrant lifestyle, they're obeying the devil, Amen. the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. What I've noticed, maybe you've noticed as well, is that nobody, the, these, these people that we're speaking of, they usually just have one sin that they believe is going to be excused or overlooked. But all the rest of them, God's not going to excuse them. But it's usually their pet sin. You know, the, the one that they just don't want to give up. They just don't want to give that one up. And, and what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, that those of you who refuse to obey God, you are obeying the devil. So... Uh, the, this is what the Word of God does, is it enlightens us. It enlightens us. Now watch, let's, let's keep on reading here. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. nature. This is verse 3. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. When we used to live that way, this flagrant lifestyle. Anyone here used to play basketball? Has anyone here ever used to play? I grew up playing basketball. I love basketball. And, and there are certain fouls. So you get five fouls per game and you go on the bench. You got to sit there. And, and a lot of times, most of the time, when you foul somebody, you hit somebody, it's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. But every once in a while, there's a foul where I meant to do that. Do you say, I, meant, I planned that. I saw you coming, I saw you shooting, and I planned to hit you. That's flagrant. That's a flagrant foul. You can get kicked out of the game for that. They go just like this, boom. So we're not talking about fouls. We're talking about flagrant fouls. And, and when, this is what Paul's saying, he's talking to the Gentiles, he said, before Jesus died and before he saved you, uh, we used to live this way. We used to live this flagrant lifestyle. And, and this is what he says at the very end of verse number three. We were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life 
when he raised Christ from the dead. So the same moment that Jesus is laying in the grave and all of a sudden, at that moment, bam, at that timeline, everybody that died before him and everybody that's going to live after him that's a Gentile, we received the same power that saved Jesus, saved you and I. And that is so incredibly awesome. So let's keep on reading. Let's jump down to verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Isn't that cool? You did not receive salvation because you have been so wonderful. That's not why you received it. And so for those of us that are still struggling to run straight, okay, we're we're trying. We're doing the best we can. It's not flagrant fouls. I remember I went through a, a stretch of basketball games where I kept on fouling out. I'd get five fouls, boom, I'm out. Five fouls again, boom, I'm out. Five fouls again, boom, I'm out. And I remember the coach sitting down with me saying, Frankie, we need you in the game. Stop fouling out. I'm like, I can't help it. It's hard for a basketball player to learn how to play good defense. It's hard. It's hard. you got to slide your feet. It's, it's all feet and brain, and I was short of that. And You're not supposed to reach and, and all this kind of And I would tell the coach, I'm trying. Well, he'd say, try harder. I'm, oh, la, 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 la. I'm trying. And so the, for the people here that we get kind of, we beat ourselves up. Man, God, I'm trying. I'm just, I distinctly remember being 18 years old, driving in my Honda Civic hatchback. I was on Normandy. I was driving towards 45. And I was thinking about what I did the night before. And I'm telling God, God, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never. And I start beating the steering wheel. I'm never going to do it again. Never, 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 never going to do it. I'm never going to do it again. Do you know that I cannot earn this gift can't earn it isaiah and jessica had a a baby a few weeks ago and, and they got a bunch of presents for their baby do you know what that baby did to get those gifts nothing nothing he can't earn it he can't even wipe his nose by himself he cannot earn it if he decides to sleep through the night that night we go like this If he wakes up 78 times that night, we go, oh boy, we got some work to do. But we don't take away his beanie that we gave him. We don't take away his blanket. The kid is trying. He was in a beautiful, warm womb. Now he's freaking out. What in the world is going on? He can't walk. Do we get mad at him that he can't walk? No. You know, my daughter... This is, uh, my daughter is 16 months old. My two kids prior to my third daughter, they were walking at 12 months. My daughter is 16 months and she's still not walking. So she's way behind 
our schedule. We took her to the, it was a pediatrician, is that the doctor for kids? We're like, is everything cool? She's like, no, everything's cool, it's just slow. Well, do you think because she's not getting the hang of this thing, I'm going to go into her room and take everything away that I bought her? She's just having some trouble in that particular area. Doesn't mean that I don't love her. Doesn't mean I'm going to take away the free gifts that I gave her that she didn't even earn. She tries. She stands up, boom, stands up, boom, stands up, boom, stands up, boom. We had a party in the house today because she took three steps. Wahoo! Freaking out. Now, she should have been running by this point. She's just not there yet. Are you with me? That's how God looks at you and I. Sometimes we're just having some trouble in a few areas. That's all. It's not flagrant. It's not like she's sitting down in the living room going, I ain't going to walk. I don't want to walk. I ain't going to walk. Don't want to walk. That's not flagrant. She's trying, the poor girl. Thank God she's got diapers on to give her a cushion when she falls down. All right, I'm having too much fun with that point. Verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Isn't that cool? He's made the sun, the moon, the stars, the Grand Canyon. But of all of that, he looks at you and goes, that's my best piece. And do you know this? That in another place of the Bible, it says that he's not a respecter of persons. That means he doesn't look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, or John the Baptist, or Deborah and say, boy, I sure do like them a lot more than I like him. He looks at you the same way as everybody else. He looks at you and he says, this is the best thing I've ever created. This is the best. This is the best thing I've ever created. Now, there's things about you that you wish you could fix. Oh, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd have hair. If I had my druthers... I'd have six-pack abs and big muscles and, and a, a, a Rubik's Cube tattoo. <laughs> Just telling you. That would be the coolest tattoo ever. <laughs> it's just not my bag. There's things about me that I'd like to change. There's things about you you might like to change. You'd like to lose some weight, maybe. Maybe you'd like to have big muscles as well. But do you know this, that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and see things that he wants to change. He looks at you and goes, that's my masterpiece right there. This is so important. This is why we got to read the Bible, not fast and not a whole bunch, slow. How many of you feel your faith getting bigger right now? You feel it kind of going up? That's it. That's what the Bible does. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Don't forget about that. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. You were who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. See, true circumcision is when you no longer value your flesh. You no longer depend 
on your flesh. You no longer depend on your skill and your talents and your abilities. You no longer take pride in your skills, talents, and abilities. You now, now, because that's been circumcised, that's been cut off. Now it's you know that everything depends on what you can't see. See, the Jews, they were like, we're circumcised, you're not. Who cares about that flesh? The Bible says that God looks at the heart. Is your heart circumcised? Has your heart been cut off of the flesh? All right, here we go. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Can you imagine if Jesus wouldn't have died for you and I? You and I would have no hope. We would be on a train that you cannot get off heading straight to the pit of hell to burn forever and ever 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 and ever. No hope. It doesn't matter how good you and I are. It doesn't matter how nice we dress. We are strapped on a plane going straight to hell. The best years we'll ever live is right here on earth. And then we're going to burn for eternity. Can you imagine with no hope? Thank God that he saw us heading straight to hell. And so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Time out, time out. These Gentiles, I love them too. I know I made the covenant and the promise with Abraham and all of his seed. But you know what? I love these people. He sends his only begotten son to us. Wow! If we don't get anything else out of tonight, oh my goodness, how rich is grace! How rich is it that he loved us so much? Wow! That is some amazing love. Let me just, nobody loves you that way. Everybody who loves you, loves you conditionally. Even you two lovebirds. There's certain things that if Jessica did it, (laughs) you'd be reevaluating some things. But God loved you knowing all of the traits and habits that we were going to have. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. I love them. I know they're going to live the majority of their life not even thinking about me. I know that people are going to look at them and wonder if they're a Christian or not a Christian sometimes. Whether they believe in me or they don't believe in me sometimes. They're going to go on long stretches in their life of not even living for me. I know. But I love them. I love them. Isn't that amazing? 
His love is so unconditional. He loves us in spite of it all. You know, it's, it's almost like if you and I go to an adoption agency and we pick out a boy or a girl and we go, I think I, I want that one. And someone comes up to us with a clipboard and says, wait a minute now, let me just tell you, I've got this special clipboard and I'm able to see into the future. If you pick that one, they're going to ignore you. They're going to disobey half of what you say, half of their life. Are you sure you want that one? And you say, I know. But there's something about her that I love. I'm taking her home. That's what God did with you. That's what God did with me. He looked ahead and he said, I know, but I love him. But I love her. I love him. I love her. I know they're going to be imperfect. I'll figure out another way to pay for those sins. I love them. And I love them just as much as the Jews. Isn't that awesome? My goodness. So here we go. Let's keep on reading. Verse 14. For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. In his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one people from the two groups together as one body Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death he said look I'm taking the Jews and I'm taking the Gentiles I don't care where you're from I don't care who your great, 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 great grandparents are. I love you, Jewish people. I love you, Gentile people. You're coming together. And now both of you are my kids. And both of you are my family. And he did this by dying on the cross. And if there's one thing we can never, ever, 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 ever let go of is the cross. I know that people don't talk about the blood of Jesus very much. I know people don't talk about the cross that much. And even Christmas time is so Christmassy with wrapping paper and going around looking at Christmas lights. It's all that stuff. But you and I have got to remember, if it weren't for that cross, if it weren't for that blood, you and I would not be included in the plans of heaven. We would not be included. But he loved us so much. You know, I know you're comfortable in your seat, but I think that we should just put our hands up right where you're at. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. Close your eyes and just tell him how thankful you are. Just say how, just tell him thank you a million times over again. And every time you say it, mean it more than the time before you said it. Go ahead, say it. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just tell them, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Just tell them, thank you. Just talk to them like there's nobody else in this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. All right, let's keep reading. Let's move now. Let me just move over to um, verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. Now, now, now he's, he's, he's showing, he's, he's using a physical structure as a type and shadow of what the family looks like. Because we all, we, we, can't, we can't imagine what heaven is like. We can't imagine what God is like. We don't understand how Jesus can be the son of God. Like how it, it, the Holy Spirit in Jesus and God, they're three separate, yet they're one. What? Run that by me again. Like Billy Graham, this like the, our patriarch, our modern day Moses, even he said, it is the greatest question in the world. We don't understand how Jesus can be God, can be one with God, but separate. I don't get it. And so because there's so many things that we don't understand and we don't get, Paul uses something that we do understand. He says, okay, we're like a house. All of us together, we're like a house. And he says it like this. Built on the foundation of other apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone of this house, because we all know that the cornerstone is the most important. Like whenever, you make a, whenever you're putting together a puzzle, what do you do first? You get the corners, right? Where are the four corners? Let me get my four corners. Let me start working from there. Because the corners... It's the most important part. It says, the corners is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now watch this. Through him, this is the last verse, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So where does God live? He lives in the house. What house? The house that we make by being together. So what does that mean? He lives among His people. He lives among His people. He lives around you. He lives in you. And what an incredible honor. But watch this. And I'm closing with this. 
Years later, years later, a guy named John had a vision. And he was in heaven. Now this letter that we've been reading is to the church of Ephesus. Years later, John was standing in heaven and God started talking about this church. And this is what God said about this church. I know all the things you do. This is Revelations chapter 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. These, these, you're so proud of them in this respect. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. And I just want to say, that still happens today. People claim to hear God. God told me this. God told me that. God told me this. And you know what the Bible says about that? We're supposed to go. I don't believe everybody. Just because they say God told them. You, have, you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. God didn't. You, you, uh, but, <laughs> you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me. Or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. You know what a lampstand is? A lampstand is a church. If you don't repent, I'm going to take the whole church of Ephesus and pick it up and move it from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate evil deeds of the Nicolaitans as I do. Anyone who hears, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. He's saying to this church, hey, 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 hey. You don't love me and you don't love each other the way you did when I first called you. You know, Ivan Tate told me something. He said, you know, my relationship with God changed when I started having compassion for people. When I started caring deeply about people, my relationship with God changed. The gifts of the Spirit were manifesting in my life more and more. It wasn't all about me anymore. 
started caring about people. I started caring about getting people to heaven. I started praying for them. And see, when that goes away, God says, I've got this against you. You don't love me like you used to. And you don't love other people like you used to. In one place in the Bible, it says, in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves. I want more, 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 more. That's what I want to say. Whenever we pray in our own time, it can't be, God, I want more, I want more, I want more of you, 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 I want more of you. We can't be, that cannot be the beginning, the middle, and the end of our prayer. It can't. It's got to involve other people. And God is saying to the church of Ephesus, you don't love me like you used to. You don't love other people like you used to. And that's got to change. 